Hello, trauma thrivers. Thank you for tuning in a second Thursday in a row. We're getting really good at this now. Um, those of you that are watching, I'm sure know Madeline Black from last week and lovely to have Mads back again. And Thank you. This week, we're joined by Shari Botwin from the States. And it's lovely. It's very early, probably in the morning for you, Shari, isn't it? No, it's actually 12 o'clock. It's almost time for lunch here. Oh, my gosh. I always think you're more hours behind than you actually are nearly oh. lunchtime. Thank you for joining us. And this meeting really came about, didn't it? Because, Shari, you reached out last week to Madeline and I and asked us whether we would do a Facebook Live with you on this very subject. So I just wonder whether you want to say more about what inspired you to do the Facebook Live today really with us and what touched you about Bill Cosby's release, because that's what we're gonna be talking about today. So I wanted to reach out to both of you because we obviously live in two different countries. And this is one of those cases I feel like that has affected survivors all over the world. I've had conversations and I've a recorded podcast with both of you. And I know that you're both survivors and I just, I love the work that you both are doing. I feel like the outreach and the guests that you have on your shows it's amazing. And there are people in the UK that are struggling with the same issues that we struggle with over here, but I don't know if they know as much about the trial. I don't know if you all know as much about the, about why things happen the way they did. So I thought, what a great opportunity to get out there. And I know that everybody's, the reaction of people around the world is just it, there's so much emotion. And I thought, you know what, I don't, I want to get out there and I want to talk to people who really understand what it means to be a survivor and what it means to try and help survivors. And I want to get out there and talk with people who maybe haven't gone through this stuff, but have some, have someone that has a loved one or just somebody in the community that wants to understand more about what this all means. I don't know about you, Mads, but I feel quite touched already. And I think maybe it's because of your passion and your drive to kind of make a difference, Shari, and just reach out with your heart. I can kind of feel it from here. So I, I thank you for that. Um, it's a pleasure to know you and to have worked with you and, you know, done a podcast. And I hope to do many more things with both you and Mads and know that this touches all of us. So... I mean, for me, I was shocked, horrified, dismayed, uh, gobsmacked that it had even happened. It did come out in the UK news and it featured quite prominently, but I don't know whether we know as much over here uh, as you do over there. And I know that you were part of it. And I, I wonder whether you can give us some of the backstory really. So how I got involved with the women that came forward, I don't know if you if you remember, but right after he was charged with sexual assault, there were about 13 women that went on Dateline with Kate Snow and 2020. And I wasn't that familiar with the story. I'd sort of heard about it. It was one of those stories where it was sort of in the background, but I wasn't really focusing on it. But then one night this, this Dateline episode came on and many of the women who ended up testifying were part of this group of 13 or 14 women. And I will never forget this. My 
little guy, I think he was four then, he had just gone to sleep. I'm sitting on my sofa, not even knowing that this is gonna be on air. And Kate Snow starts talking about how Cosby was just charged. And there's all these women that are coming forward. And I literally sat on my sofa, just like sort of frozen, listening to all these women share their stories. And the, I think the thing that resonated with me was many of them, when they came forward, were in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. Something that I struggle with and many survivors struggle with is why does it take us so long to speak up? Why? Right? So when I'm listening to them, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, at this point, I had already, I think I was in my mid 40s. So I had broken my silence. I had done over a decade of intense therapy. And what I noticed was the pain, the rawness and the vulnerability of these women. I could feel as a therapist that some of these women had never spoken before until they sat down with Kate Snow and it lit such a fire under my ass. I, I was so pissed off and I was so sad for these women. I thought I can't just sit here on a sofa and listen to this. So I went to sleep, woke up in the morning, wrote an op-ed for the Philadelphia Inquirer. The op-ed was basically saying the hope that I felt, the hope that comes out of what just happened that there's these women that are talking about something that happened to them 30, 40 years ago. And while it's devastating and heartbreaking that they spent all those decades in silence, I found it to be hopeful. So I wrote this op-ed, published it, and started hearing from some of the Cosby women all over the country. The article, you know, with the internet, the article circulates. I developed a connection with some of them. And then I found out that the trial was going to be held like 30 minutes from where I live. So I said, I am going to that trial. I don't care if I have to crawl in, I will get myself in there because I knew they weren't gonna let that many people in. And from there, it just sort of happened. I went to both of the trials. I went to the jury selection for the second trial. I was at the sentencing. And I think while there was so much, it was so triggering and upsetting. One of the things that, I, that struck me were that the reporters and the journalists, one of them was in the bathroom. Uh, I think she was from the UK. She was having flashbacks and panic attacks because she was sexually assaulted and had never spoken. She left the trial, never came back. So I had these different experiences where it wasn't just the witnesses and the family of Andrea, everybody in the courtroom was affected. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought this we need to talk about this. We need to help people understand the re-traumatization. We need people to understand that anybody sitting in this courtroom is going to be affected by what they're hearing, not just some people. So I think from there, it, you know, it's sort of like things just sort of happening. I started talking more about my experience of being an incest survivor because I thought if these women could sit in a in a witness box and look at Bill Cosby, who's the most loved American dad in the country, in the world. And I'm knowing they're having death threats. They're having family members who are saying, if you come forward, we won't talk to you anymore. I'm thinking if they can do that, then I can get out there and I can start talking more about incest because how often do you hear about stories of incest? Not how often? often enough, not right. often enough. Yeah. Right. But it just shows you that courage is really contagious, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and despite what's happened now, these women's testimonies, testimonies, they still stand, you know, it, he hasn't got off because he's innocent. We have to be very clear. He's got off 
on a technicality yeah. but it is just so devastating because it takes so much courage to find your voice and then to go to court and then to get a conviction and then to have it snatched away yeah it must be so many mixed feelings and we know sadly our stories are not uncommon our stories are the stories of many many women and mm -hmm. men on this planet but mm -hmm. i think to have it snatched away it, it, it was just so cruel and when i heard I, I almost really felt like crying i had so many mixed emotions but actually now that i've allowed it to settle in my system it just really gives me the energy to keep speaking out and keep talking about it and not normalizing it, but making it okay to speak about it because it will never be normal. We, we should be disturbed by sexual violence, rape, incest, abuse. But, oh, I just really felt for these women just to have it snatched away was just awful, awful. just awful. Are you in contact with them, Sherry? I have talked to some of them. And the, how are they doing? I mean, they are so strong and here there's they're so and they're so mad but not in a bitter way in like you're saying madeline like uh we're gonna use our anger and we're gonna go out there and we're gonna scream our heads off but not just to yell so somebody can be hearing us but to actually fight for change the thing that i actually really want to make sure i say um when you're talking about how all that gets snatched up and it gets taken from them this that what you just said that struck me because whenever I sit with people in session who are trying to confront their perpetrators or when I opened up and started telling people in my family what happened to me or when patients come in and they tell me they started talking to their families and most of the time this is what happens we are made to feel like the crazy ones we are told my truth is not your truth your story and my story don't match. So this idea of I finally spoke up and now I'm being told that I'm lying or I'm being told that nobody's going to believe you, this happens every day. So what I would want to say is, and this is one of the things I love about these women, because they talked about this on air last night, what, what happened with Cosby, him walking around talking about what he's eating for breakfast and being a free man, that doesn't change a damn thing. Nope. The verdict is not changed. The experience of them speaking isn't changed. So this is what I say to people. If somebody tries to disown your truth, you stand tall and you stand firm and you say to yourself, that's about you. You're telling me, well, I don't, you know, that didn't happen or I don't remember it that way. And this is what I say to myself and I say to my patients, you know the truth and you're not going to let what anybody says change it. The denial, the lack of accountability, that people who commit these kind of acts have is so strong. And I think shame on them and sad for them, but not sad for me. You can't take away what I know happened to me. Yeah. And that's one of the, that's, yeah. And also we can't take away that there are at least 30 or more accusers. So when one 60. person- Is it not 60? Was I would say 60. Yeah. Wow, I read somewhere 30 and I thought that was enough. But you know, when when other women are saying the same or men about, you know, the same perpetrator, I mean, let's, you know, stick with Bill Cosby for a second. I always also say to people that maybe, I mean, this is awful and, and it feels like it's a miscarriage of justice. And I don't know, Mads, but I don't think we could do that in the UK. I don't think we have prosecutors. We don't have deals like that because his... 
his lawyer promised him that if he spoke the truth, he wouldn't, he would get him yeah. off. And that's basically what happened. He, he didn't admit to being a serial rapist, but he admitted to drugging women. Yes. And he said, well, I spoke the truth. And so he got him off. Yeah. Yeah. If that's my belief. Maybe Sherry, Sherry can clear that up, but that's what yeah. I understand has happened. Yeah. But, but yeah. he's not, he's not off scot-free yet, is he? He's not. No. no. And you know what? We sat and we listened to the deposition he gave in 2005, and that's all public record. So if somebody wanted to go and read what happened at the trial, they can read what he actually admitted to. The thing that uh, was very striking, I think, for people who don't understand abuse and, and serial rapists is that each wo woman, all the five, Andrea and the five witnesses get up on the stand. They don't listen to each other in the courtroom. They're all like put in seclusion. The story was the same story. It was the same thing. And that's the other thing that I think we know with predators is they have their, like their MO or their way of grooming and their way of finding certain types of people. And they, they also have their way of hiding and covering things up. And that was what I think helped the jury to find him guilty is that the story was it was, if I put my hands over my eyes, I would have thought it was the same person telling the story. I wouldn't have known it was six different women because that's how similar each of the stories was. And the deposition was very similar that he gave to the women who testified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know about both of you, but I, I often say to um, clients of mine, and also I found personally that one of the biggest breakthroughs if you like for for me and for other people that I've worked with is actually finding your voice and telling somebody yes and and sometimes it doesn't even matter so much who that somebody is and I think it's bloody brave to do it in a courtroom in front of your but I do have clients that have had to do that and something just about being able to find your voice in a way or share it or share it with somebody else and anybody who's watching this who has gone through it that hasn't shared their voice yet to me it's almost as powerful and I'm not taking away the fact that you know you want the perpetrator to get to justice and you want that justice to be as long as possible and as swift as possible but we can't always control that end of it as the victim or the survivor what we can control is finding our voice around it so yep. I don't know what you both think about that part of it oh, too. Uh Finding my voice has been the very thing that saved me, you know, stepping into my own truth and sharing what happened to me. Obviously, I speak publicly and share my story, which I don't recommend everybody does. It has to be right for you. But without a doubt has been the very thing that, that saved me because it was the shame that kept me quiet. It was my shame that lied to me and told me people knew they would look at you differently, they wouldn't want to know you, they would be disgusted, because I, I thought I was less than worthless, uh, contaminated, dirty, you know, I, all the things that my trauma said to me, I believed, and it was really the shame that lied to me for years. So, as Brenny Brown says, shame can't exist when we shine a light on it, but it, it thrives in the darkness. So, by speaking out, you're exposing it. I call it giving it oxygen. So by giving it oxygen, it changes that energy inside and it shifts everything about because 
when we don't speak out, we hold ourselves back in so many ways. And when we do speak out, there's like more space. There's more of me that can show up that was never even there before. So yeah, absolutely speaking out has been the very thing that saved me. Yeah. I think with the, the shame, one of the things that I decided early in my recovery was when I went into what I call these shame attacks, I would do the opposite. So if I felt power... List, I did something that made me feel powerful. If I felt hopeless, I did something that made me feel hopeful. So the way I look at all this is I stayed quiet. I stayed silent for almost 30 years. Now I'm doing the opposite. I still find that the shame comes up. It comes up every day sometimes. I know that there was some shame activated the day that the story broke about Cosby. And what I do is I say to myself, every time you get out there and you speak, like I'm doing today, right now, you're doing the opposite. And one yep. of the things that I say to patients is, it is important to tell your story, but don't stop telling your story because every time you tell your story, you're gonna digest another piece of it. So whether you do it through writing, through singing, through therapy, through support groups, there's no such thing as telling your story too much because I think as much as we've all worked through our histories, I still have work I need to do. There's still parts of my story that aren't fully understood or processed. And I think that's one of the things that strikes me about many of these Cosby women. It's the same thing. There's so much of their story that still hasn't been told. Yeah. So I say, keep, keep talking. People used to tell me you have such a big mouth. Why don't you just shut up? You know what? I'm going to, I'm not going to shut up. Yeah. Don't ever be quiet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's quite a lot of comments coming in, one by Lynn that I, I believe there's very poor understanding of what testifying without support can be like for trauma survivors and victim services is critical. We must offer support and guidance so as not to further damage. And I think, you know, that's interesting, isn't it, about when to tell our story and how to tell our story and where to share it and also what support the Cosby survivors are getting now. One of the things that was striking to me, I had never been in a courtroom before and listened to testimony, but, and I don't know if it's just in Pennsylvania, but Andrea and all the other women had advocates that were in the trial when they testified and they also were behind closed doors. Janice and Lisa and uh, Heidi, there was another Janice and I'm, forgetting the other woman's name right now, it's lose, I'm losing it. But from what I remember, they weren't allowed to be in the courtroom except when they testified. But when they were in the courtroom, they could have the advocates and then their family members were behind closed doors with the advocates. And they weren't just there during testimony. These advocates were with them through the whole process. Again, I don't know what it's like in all the different states, but I, I found that to be a relief because I was very concerned when I saw Andrea on the stand and Janice, uh, who was one of the witnesses who I adore, I was thinking to myself, how can she just be sitting up there and not, somebody needs to give her a hug. Somebody needs yeah. to hold her hand. I mean, that for me was very hard. I had a hard time with that. So what, what I tried to do and what I noticed with the advocates, we couldn't literally wrap our arms around them, but I could feel yeah. I could feel like I watched the advocates sort of listening. And that honestly, for me, was the most upsetting part. I just think 
if you're going to sit in a box and testify, somebody should be able to sit right next to you. You shouldn't have to sit there by yourself when Cosby's glaring or laughing and you've got the lawyers doing the cross-examining. So that was one of the reasons why I went. Not, not necessarily because I needed to say something because there was nothing that I was going to be able to say in the courtroom, but I felt very strongly that if there's a way I can convey love and support, even if it's, even if it's through my heart, uh, that was one of the things that I felt was very important. And I hope that's, that's you sending your energy out, isn't it? And that will be felt. And it would be the same here. There would be no way they'd allow someone to hold their hand while they're given evidence. They, no. they, you could maybe under, I'm in Scotland, so it's maybe different to England, under the Vulnerable Witness Act, you maybe could do a testimony on video or behind yeah, a do. screen. You do. You do. And you can have VIA, which is victim uh, support, kind of yeah. somebody with you. But you would be in a room till you were called in, but they couldn't be with you in the witness box. You would have to do that by yourself. So. It, you know, when I was a volunteer for rape crisis, I did attend a few trials and we wouldn't put women off, but we'd be very realistic to say, well, what really is justice? You know, is justice moving on with your life or do you need a conviction to be able to get to that place? And I didn't need a conviction to heal completely. Yeah. But for many people, the reality is we have a broken justice system, especially in Scotland. The conviction rate of all cases that make it to court, the prosecute, it's like 4%. It's so, so low. Um, yeah. You're going to be re-triggered. You're going to be re-traumatized. And I often wonder, is it worth it? And that's a really bad message to put out because how do we fix this broken system? It's very I, 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 injustice I, I, at the moment. I, I hear you. And, you know, I've been uh, and assisted lots of clients going forward to the police and, and you know, telling their story. And, 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 you know, one or two of mine have led to prosecution and, and conviction, thank goodness. Um, whether the conviction was ever long enough or ever strong enough, it hasn't led to the release, which must be just horrific, um, you know, in the Bill Cosby case. But I also think that personally, I... I always thought that I'd um, done all the work on both my 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 childhood sexual abuse and my teenage rape. And it was only very later on in life that I thought, well, I'm not really sure whether I have. And I did go to the police and I went to the police later, much later, much later on. And I have to say for me, it was a positive experience. Yeah. I decided I didn't want to prosecute. I decided I didn't want to go forwards. But for me, both police forces, because in the UK, if you're raped in one area and you're sexually abused in another, you don't have one person and one police force you've got to deal with. You've got to deal with whatever area the crime was committed in. But I've got to say they were amazing for me. And there was something powerful about on video and taking a testimony on video and going to perceived authority figures and being held and heard. And they were very good with me that felt quite transformational. So I wouldn't want to put everybody off that process because I know that there are people out there probably watching this going, mine was horrendous. But actually for me, it was quite a powerful process. Yeah. I think everybody's different, right? Yeah. We all have our yeah. own story. We all have our own reaction. And I think there's no right or wrong way I to agree. figure this out. I think one of the things that I talk to people about in therapy is what do you feel you need 
to move on with your life? How, what would bring you peace of mind? What does revenge look like? For me, um, one of the things I used to talk with my therapist about was revenge was not about going to the police. Revenge was about reclaiming my right to live a life that I want. And for me, revenge was about breaking the cycle. Yeah. And I had said to my therapist when I was around 30, I don't want to have kids now and I don't want to be married now, but I will. That's what that for me, when she would say, what do you need to do to keep living? How do you, what are the images that you need to hold on to so that you can make it through this horrific recovery process? Um, and that was what I decided. I didn't know necessarily I was going to write books or speak publicly. I don't think I knew that, but I knew I am going to break this cycle and there are not going to be any other people in my family that will do what was done to me. And I think that everybody has their own. It's almost like if you ask somebody to make a vision board, what does recovery look like? What does thriving look like? For some, it's about finding justice. For some, it's about writing a book. For some, it's about just being able to tell their therapist and knowing that their therapist hears them. So everybody has their own their own vision of what thriving after trauma looks like. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm similar to you. I didn't report it. I was only 13 and it took me three years to tell my parents. Anyway, my dad wanted to go to the police, but they did tell me if I spoke about it, they would kill me. And I, I was terrified that that would happen and thought it was my fault as well, you know, and all of that stuff. But um, my best revenge was really becoming a mum, having my three girls and also, yay, <laughs> because I thought I would never, ever become a mum because in my head, giving birth was just like being raped. And I thought men at my cervix, feet in stirrups. And, you know, I had all these ideas of what it was like. I had two beautiful home births and a fantastic hospital in London for my first one. Um, so actually, you, it was the most empowering part of my life to give birth and to it was like so healing it was just you know taking back my power as you say so my best revenge was living my life as best as I possibly can just refusing really to be identified by what had happened and determined to drain my swamp you know to clean up this mess hopefully um it's pretty drained now but you never know there's sometimes you get a bit of a a bit that you needs a good clean again but on the whole it's pretty clean my swamp and if you think about our bodies and the harm and damage that, you know, a lot of times survivors feel like he ruined me. I'll never be able to have intimacy. I'll never be able to carry a, a child. That's one of the gifts that comes out of facing trauma and facing your abuse is you learn that while you were hurt, you are not ruined. Yes. No. And recovery yes. is the best revenge. And, you know, whether the perpetrator is a male or a female, because, you know, very often I'm afraid to say that women can be abusers as well as men. So if anybody's watching here today that has a, had a woman abuse them as well as a man, that's that's less common, but it still it still happens. Yeah. What do you think the effect will be? or do you think there'll be an effect both of you on Cosby being released on women that do want to come forward or do how how do you think it will impact other survivors out there or 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 can I even call them victims if they feel that they're at that point in their life that they're they're still really struggling and they haven't shared it or don't have a voice around it 
It's hard, isn't it? Because I can imagine you'd think, well, he was a celebrity, he was found guilty, then he got off. Yeah. What chance do I have, you know? I imagine it will really silence a lot of women again, a lot of victims, men and women. Um, yeah, I think it, it, they don't have faith in the system and, and in the UK as well. You know, I'm a patron for a few organisations. One is called Justice Is Now, and they train judges and lawyers to end all the rape myths within the court system. So if our lawyers and our judges have those attitudes, can you imagine the juries? You know, we can't be naive to think they don't come in with this preconceived idea that, oh, well, she was wearing lacy thongs or she went up to his hotel room. You know, what do we expect? So we're working with judges and lawyers. So there's so many changes needed to our broken injustice service, really yeah. so many. And it's, you know, obviously in America as well, that you can do a bargain, you can do a plea, and you can be convicted, and then you can have that taken away and be free. I feel like when, when the news broke, I, I was talking to a reporter like an hour after, and in my first interview, I was saying, I'm really concerned. I'm concerned that this this latest um story is really gonna it's gonna make survivors feel like they can't speak but then i noticed a shift as i went through the day and i started messaging with some of the cosby women and some of my colleagues and what i am thinking is there's so many people who are so flipping angry and one of the things that janice and some of the other cosby women talked about last night was it almost reignites this fire that some of us felt during hashtag me too in the beginning. Yeah. So this is what I would say. I think if, if you're out there and you're not talking to anybody and you're thinking, what's the point? Why bother? Talk to other people, listen to what we're saying now, keep looking for support. Because I think if there's people out there that are feeling silenced by this, if you talk to other people and if you sort of find your way out of that, and again, we all understand why he was let out of prison. And we all also understand that he was not, he still was found guilty of all three charges and that that didn't change. So I think, yeah. I think if we can all just keep having this dialogue, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you, both of you women today too, was to say, let's not let what happened last week hold us back. And I think the main way to do this is to continue to talk and educate and offer people insight and hope. Absolutely. Yeah. My initial reaction was total sadness and disbelief. But now, just like you, that fire in my belly, he's just fueled it. I'm going to speak out more and more to end the shame, the silence, the stigma and we know, it, you know, one person speaking out, hashtag me too, it's going to help someone else find their voice. And this morning we were speaking about it before we came on air. Victoria Valentino, one of the very first women who accused him, was speaking on Women's Hour. And she said this exactly the same. It's just fueled them. They call themselves, I think, the, the Survivor Sisters. Or, yeah, so it's just fueled the sisterhood even more to bring in changes and to change the, the broken service, the justice service. Yeah. So it's going to go from strength to strength to strength then, ladies. That's what we're hoping. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So if there was one thing that you could say to anybody listening that's been through something similar or some form of sexual assault, what would you say? What would be the one thing that you'd want to say to them? You know, I would say that it's never too late to find your voice. I've been very lucky since I've 
found my voice and spoken. I've been interviewed by brilliant people and one of them, obviously, the British broadcasting legend, Sir Trevor MacDonald, has been up there. Sorry, Lou. He has been one of my best. Uh, but my, my friend's mum was listening that morning to the radio and she was 81. She's older now. And she basically ended 64 years of silence that day when she heard me speak. She told her daughter she had been raped as a teenager as well. And she, she, up until that moment, she had never told anybody. Wow. Every time I speak, I, I think of her. Can you imagine mm -hmm. holding that in all those years? Yeah. It, it gets me every time. It was a good few years ago now. But yeah, so it's never too late to find your voice and speak out. Never. That's lovely. And she said it's changed her. You know, she shifted her energy's lighter and she shares other things now that she didn't know about either. So it's all coming out. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> Even better. And yeah. I also want to say that if people are listening to us and going, oh, my God, I can't believe you can all say all of that and you can talk about yourself so openly. I'm going to say for one, it's only taken me 54 years. And <laughs> A lot of work, a hell of a lot. So I don't want anybody to think, oh God, because literally, you know, you have to put in quite a bit, don't you, to be able yes. to yep. do this. Yeah, this is I, a shitload of therapy. Yeah, <laughs> shitload. Yeah, and all the other things, you know. And all the I've other got things. a slide somewhere of all the 38, I think Oof. it is different things I've done from, of course, the shamanic healing to really bizarre methods that I've tried to get to this point. So yeah, 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 yeah we all absolutely. do it. Ali, what about you? I was gonna say, it took me years just to sit in an office and look at my therapist in the eyes and speak. For years when I had memories, I left voicemails. I wrote letters and put them in the mail because we didn't email then. Um, so I'm glad that you're saying that, Lou, because again, if, if you're sitting there going, how are they able to be so put together? First of all, we're not always all put together. So don't think that we are, um, number one and Speak for yourself. It, no, I'm joking. <laughs> it does. It takes again, like, I mean, I still find last week, there were definite setbacks for me and some people that I know. And I just think that this is the process. It's sort of like a roller coaster. So the thing that I want to say is it's not the speaking that's the issue. It's that it happened. When you're being made to feel like you're the cause of the problem or you're the reason your family member is sick because you spoke or you're the reason you can't go to your family member's funeral because you spoke, I want to say it is not speaking that is the problem. It is what happened to you. That is the problem. Because I think every time we're made to feel like we're the crazy one or that people aren't going to believe us, that's about them. That has nothing to do with us. So I feel very strongly. I agree with you also, Madeline, when you were talking about that it's never too late. I think those are my two main messages. It's never too late. And it's not the speaking. That's the problem. It's what happened to you. That is the problem. Yeah. 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 I hear you. And what do we hope for the victims of Bill Cosby? And, you know, that the, the, I, I know that we can't control it, but what, what would ideally you like to see have happen over there in terms of kind of justice or, you know, uh, some closure for them? What has to happen in that case, do you think? I think it's already happening. They're already 
forming, banding together. They're doing interviews in, in Philadelphia this Saturday. There's going to be a vigil. I'm not sure who will come because the survivors are all over the country. So I think that already started within hours after the news broke. And I think from what I'm hearing, again, the, the anger and the rage about what is happening, that they will use that to continue to push for change in the legal system, that there will never ever be another story where somebody's gonna be let out of prison because of a procedural issue. Yeah, there, yeah. We're, I think that's one of the things that we're gonna be working on in this country is why would you say to somebody, well, if you tell us what happened, then we can't prosecute you. How can you tell a serial rapist that? You think that's gonna make them stop? crazy right so I think that is my hope but in terms of their well-being I don't want to say I'm not worried about them but I'm really not because I feel like they have the support of each other and they have they have so many supporters behind them they have haters too I honestly think they give a shit to be honest with you (laughs) good for them we all have haters anybody who comes forward and talks about things that make people feel uncomfortable. We're all going to have that, but I don't think that that really, I don't think it matters to be honest with you. It's, it's really good to make people feel uncomfortable. You know, we should be uncomfortable because we hear about this every day and we almost get desensitized. Oh, it's another woman raped, another person murdered, another yeah. person abused. We should be very disturbed that this yeah. still takes place on our planet somewhere every day to a man, a woman, a child. I just think we are a very immature species that has a, a, a lot of growing up to do. And hopefully one day, maybe in my girl's lifetime, this will be a thing of the past, you know. Already my mum, it was normal for her at work to have your bottom pinched or sit on your boss's knee. My girls would never know that. that so that we are slowly, baby steps, but things are changing. But I agree with you, Shari, that hopefully this will bring about change in the justice system because I, so many changes, especially here, are unneeded to really support survivors and not support the perpetrators. Yeah. Melanie's just saying that injustice can be so empowering when used correctly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe we have to change the system, Mads, over here as well yes. and start to fight. I mean, I know that there are other people definitely in the Trauma Thrivers group who have faced chronic injustice over here in the UK too, and our system. And well, you know, maybe yeah, yeah. three and of us need to stand up and start, you know, yeah, getting involved in, in the... In Scotland, we are trying to change our sentencing because it's slightly different to England. We have guilty, not guilty, and not proven. And they are trying to ban not proven because it almost suggests, listen, we know you're guilty, we just can't prove it. So there is a woman who goes by the name of Miss M and she, her partner, she was, he was found uh, not proven of raping her. She then took a civil case out and then he was found guilty. Sorry, he wasn't a partner. He was a rapist and he, she was awarded £80,000. He then made himself bankrupt, but it was never about the money. It was the fact that she knew she now has life changing injuries as a result of what this man did to her. And she was determined to prove that, to get a court to admit his guilt, which she did. So for her, she had to go down a civil prosecution. And I know that's happening more. I know of someone else that's going to be doing that as well. We shouldn't have to do that. <laughs> we should have faith in our in our systems that actually, if somebody's guilty, they're found guilty, not, not proven. So there's a big campaign in Scotland to end not proven. So mm. hopefully that will come about. Good. 
And any last comments that you'd like to make before we end the Facebook Live today? Um, I know that I want to say if anybody's got any questions that's watching it later that you're not able to join live, please put them in the chat box or the comments because I know that we're all in the group yeah. and we'll all be coming in and, you know, looking at, at the comments that you make underneath. So please, and also if this is going out later, if we edit it and put it on YouTube, again, questions, comments, all it underneath, I'll, I'll certainly come in and check and see if anybody wants to ask us anything. I think if you're affected in any way by what, you're, what you've been listening to is to practice self-care and to look after yourself as best as you know that you can. And if you can't look after yourself, go get some help, get some support. Yeah. We, one of the things that I think about too, for people who aren't starting to speak, make sure you have support, not just in the room or the person you're talking to, but make sure you have somebody to talk to after that. Yep. I always say, anytime you're going to speak about your story, you're probably going to need people who you can talk to after to just say to you, you're so strong, or I love you, or I'm here for you. And the other thing I just want to make sure I say, because I keep hearing this, and I remember thinking this is, why do the people that hurt us get away with it? Why do they get to go out there and live such great lives? And I'm sitting here in so much pain. What I've come to realize is that people who who harm and abuse others, they are not living happy, good lives. Right. They might look like it, but you know what? They're a crumbling hot mess. And if they're not taking responsibility, that's their issue and that's their problem. And it's not a good way to live, to keep all those awful things that you've done to others in your mind and body. This is not a good life. So if you feel like, why is my perpetrator out there? He he got a great job. He's married. You know what? We don't really know what the heck is going on with them. And they might look like they're doing great, but most likely they're not. So don't focus on why aren't they suffering? Focus on yourself. Yep. And like you're saying, self-care and building a, a community, an army of people of support. I always say, look for your family by choice. If, you're if your biological family sucks, which many of ours do, then go make make friends and they're your family. Like my little guy says, he says, this one's my cousin and this one's my uncle and none of them are from my family. He just decides this. You don't have to be biologically related to have family. I hear you. I hear you, my sisters, yes. my soul sisters. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for both your time. I hope it's really useful to everybody watching. I'm sure it will be. And, um, yeah, we all stand together and we all stand with you and whoever's watching, I'm talking to you. We're with you all the way. And I so hope this was helpful. Thanks, ladies, so much. Thanks so much for taking the time to do this. Oh, and thank you, Shari, for putting it together or pulling yeah. us together. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Speak soon, ladies. I'm going to turn the live off Facebook. So we'll say goodbye on Facebook and catch up with you soon.